Chapter 1 Long before there was Marvel Comics, there was Martin Goodman. Born in Brooklyn in 1908 to Russian immigrants, the ninth of thirteen children, Goodman was such an avid reader as a youth that he would cut up pieces of old magazines and paste them into new creations. But a life of leisurely imagination was not an option. His father's construction jobs ended with a back-breaking rooftop fall, and Isaac Goodman became a peddler. The fifteen members of the Goodman family constantly moved around Brooklyn, trying to stay one step ahead of their landlords. Martin was forced to drop out of school in the fifth grade and worked a series of jobs that failed to excite him. Finally, as he reached the end of his teen years, he resolved to make a bid for freedom. He set out to travel the country by train. By the time the Great Depression hit America, he'd already racked up journals detailing his coast-to-coast experiences on railroads and in hobo camps. It was his childhood love of magazines that eventually called him home. Returning to New York, he found work singing the praises of Pulps as a publisher's representative for Eastern Distributing. Eastern soon fell apart, but Goodman's fortune only rose. He and his co-worker, Louis Silberkleit, joined forces to form newsstand publications. From a dingy office in Lower Manhattan, they turned out westerns, detective stories, and romance tales at fifteen cents an issue. Lone Ranger ripoffs may not have been high art, but somewhat improbably, Martin Goodman had ascended from poor immigrant to railhopper to magazine editor. Slight, quiet, his arched eyebrows overwhelming his wire-frame eyeglasses, and a bow-tie punctuating one of his many crisp pink shirts, Goodman even had prematurely whitened hair that neatly completed his transformation from street kid to businessman. He was twenty-five. In 1934, newsstand publications distributor went under, costing Goodman and Silberkleit several thousand dollars in lost payments. Newsstand was unable to meet payments to its printer. Its assets were seized. Silberkleit abandoned the company, but an eager Goodman convinced the printer that it stood to make back its money if it allowed him to continue publishing some of the titles. Goodman's cunning instincts quickly carried the company back into profitability. Within a couple years, he'd moved into the considerably more elegant RKO building uptown. He devised a simple formula for success. If you get a title that catches on, then add a few more, he told Literary Digest. You're in for a nice profit. It was all about staying on top of trends, not providing anything more than disposable literature. Fans, he decreed, are not interested in quality. When the market crashed again, Goodman stayed afloat. He simply filled out his magazines with unlabeled reprints of other publishers' stories. Now he was in a financial position to set his parents up in a little house in the Crown Heights section of Brooklyn. He could also afford to relax. On a cruise ship to Bermuda, he approached two young women playing ping-pong and asked to play the winner. Jean Davis, also a New Yorker, but from a more cultured and sophisticated New York, soon became the apple of Goodman's eye. Back in America, Jean was on again, off again about having a serious relationship, but Goodman threw everything he could into the courtship. Once, scraping into his bank account, he flew her to Philadelphia for a dinner and a concert performance. Eventually, he won her over, and she became his bride. They honeymooned in Europe, with plans to return on the fashionable Hindenburg, 
but there were no two seats together, so they changed their plans at the last moment and caught a plane. Martin Goodman's luck just kept improving. Goodman was publishing more than two dozen magazines by 1939, with names like Two-Gun Western, Sex Health, and Marvel Science Stories. The latter didn't sell especially...